Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast episode where it is my pleasure to introduce to you a gentleman called Dave Heffernan and Dave will be sharing with us his story around fear, regret and forgiveness. So very warm welcome to you Dave. Good morning Paul, how are you? I'm fine my friend, thank you, very good indeed. So fear, regret and forgiveness, do you want to start Dave by giving us an insight, a little bit of background about uh, who you are, your journey so far? Yes, certainly. Well, my name is Dave. Um, I live in Nutsford in Cheshire at the moment, but I was originally uh, born and bred in a place called Odsall uh, in Salford, Greater Manchester. And I grew up on one of the roughest council estates in the whole of Europe. Uh, so it was quite an upbringing. Um, for the last 20, 25 years, I've worked voluntary in the mental health and homeless sector. Um, doing a lot of charity work, fundraising and various other um, means of raising awareness of mental health charities and homeless charities. Uh, in the last 12 months, I set up my own uh, business as a mental health consultant. So I work with um, individuals, I work with schools and also corporates. Um, I've created and developed a unique mental health and wellbeing program for schools, for both children and teachers and also for corporates as well. Um, so it's something that I've loved doing for years and years and years. Is now I've turned it into a business and I'm managing to help quite a few people, which is great. Excellent, very worthwhile. Okay, so tell us a little bit, I know we've spoken briefly, Dave, off air around, um, you know, a focal point for this health-related episode. So give us a little bit of an insight, if you will, into why you chose the title Fear, Regret and Forgiveness. Okay, well, in my experience, um, when I've come across most people with mental health conditions, um, there's always one of three, if not all three elements. There's a fear there uh, that they've not been able to get over. There's a regret that they've just not been able to put to bed and uh, make peace with. And the biggest one, in my view, is forgiveness. Um, a lot of people are unable to forgive themselves for the mistakes they may have made in the past or decisions they made. And again, people who have sought to do them harm, both emotionally and physically, they've not been able to forgive them. And that, you know, weighs heavily on uh, the shoulders. And mm. from that comes a lot of anxiety and then depression. Um, and so if you get to the source of any one of these three and actually deal with either the fear, the regret or the forgiveness, then you go a long way to actually resolving the issues that a lot of these people have. So let's take them one at a time then, Dave, if we may. Let's start with the fear, because from my understanding, fear is a constant thing in our lives. Um, the risk of oversimplifying, I, I perceive it to be a choice between love and fear. And that's a choice that consciously every single one of us can make. But obviously, we don't know what we don't know. So what, what's your thoughts around that, um, just singling that one particular aspect out, uh, based on what I've just said? Yeah, well, the problem is when you've got somebody uh, with an issue in regards to the mental health, self-love is something that is uh, very rare. Um, they, they feel unable to love themselves. Mm. Now, what takes over is ego. Um, and people think of ego, they think of being narcissistic and being you know, full of themselves. Um, but ego was actually there to help protect you way back in the caveman days. Um, it was there to stop you from basically falling into a trap. Mm. Now, we've evolved since then, but this ego is still there in the background. So we have millions of thoughts every single day, um, and the brain just gets overwhelmed. But with the ego, what it's saying is, oh, don't go to that interview. What happens if, you know, if they don't like you? Don't do that. Don't do that because, you know, you're not feeling too good, are you? And it's there to protect you from potential harm or chaos. Um, now, that would be great if there was a saber-tooth tiger outside of the cave. But unfortunately, 
we've evolved since then and that's never going to happen. Mm. So what a lot of people do is they create this own, this alternative storybook in the mind and it feels a little bit more safer to actually stay within the comfort zone. Yeah. And the, the ego is doing the, its job. What I teach and what I help with is to be comfortable with those thoughts. You know, so many people, um, they want to get away from those thoughts. They want to get rid of them. Whereas I believe we have to be completely okay and comfortable with the thoughts that we have inside our head. Definitely. Because one thing that ego doesn't like is permission. Mm. And so if you sit there and, you know, for example, when was the last time somebody actually got bored? When was the last time you actually got bored purposely? You know, because we've got too many distractions now. If you get bored, you put the internet on, you put Facebook on, you put Netflix on, you know, you put YouTube on and you watch cats. Yeah, I promote people actually becoming really bored. So they've got no choice but to actually hear what the thoughts are saying. Yeah. Because only then can you actually start tuning into what's important and what actually is at your core. And so what I teach is when this thought comes in, maybe something like, oh, you're fat or you're ugly or whatever, is to be okay with that. Mm. Just sit with it like a little bubble flowing in front of you and say, yeah, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because eventually, once you get through all that, the ego starts saying, forget this. I'm not interested. He's clearly not interested in me. And it moves away. And then you start getting into your inner core, into your gut. Yeah. And when you hear this, you know, I've got, I've got feeling. These are the intuitions that you need to listen to. These are, the, you know, the, the gut feelings is what you need to connect to. So once you've got through all that fluff and all that ego-driven thoughts, eventually, with enough practice, you start hearing what's actually internal. Yeah. And that is the important side. Uh, so with fear is, you know, we create our own alternative storybook, you know, for something that's not even happened. I'll give you a very quick example. Um, many years ago, I was uh, rendered homeless. I was thrown out of the house when I was 16 years old. And I was living on the streets. I was living above drug dealers' squats and various other beautiful places in Salford. And on one occasion, I chose this um, disused masonette, this flat um, above a drug dealer's squat. I was in a lot of fear because the slightest noise, they would have heard me. They would have come up and they would have you know, done a lot of damage to me. So for about four or five days, I didn't sleep. I was just lay underneath the window, just listening to screams and torture going downstairs. It was horrendous. Eventually, I fell asleep because obviously after four or five days, you're just absolutely shattered. And the floorboard, when I moved, the floorboard creaked. And within literally seconds, three lads came in with balaclavas on and they beat me with an inch of my life. I had broken jaw. I was in an absolute mess. Now, for the next few months... I was absolutely terrified. I wouldn't go out anywhere. I wouldn't do anything for fear of these lads seeing me again and, you know, causing me a lot of harm again. Mm. Yet in reality, you know, when I thought about it, I thought, it was dark. These, these lads probably didn't even know who I was. They thought I was the police doing a stakeout. Um, they didn't realize that I was homeless just trying to get some shelter and some warmth. Yeah. They want to see my face at night. They just came in with balaclavas and they did their job. They, they beat me up and they went away. They didn't look at me. They didn't ask my name. They didn't ask for details. Yet for three months, I'd created this alternative storybook saying, I need to flee Salford. I need to get out of here. You know, I'll have uh, death threats on me and, you know, to see me again. The reality was they didn't have a clue who I was. That was their normal part of their everyday life. Yep. They didn't realize who they'd beaten up. Yet for three months... These thoughts and this fear controlled my life. Mm. And I was paralyzed. I may as well have been in prison because I'd put myself in an internal prison in my mind. It was like, it was crazy. But and so the, the facts and the, the reality and the facts and, and the emotions are completely separate. And one thing I'm very good at now is removing the emotion and actually looking at the facts. And, you know, no good decision was ever made when you were stressed. And if you could just remove that emotion, step away from it, and actually look at the facts, you realize, actually, that fear that you had was pointless. And you can actually move forward with your life, embrace it. But it's, you know, I go back, Dave, to my point about that very, and it is oversimplifying it, and we know, you know, in a practical sense, and you've given some great examples there, that 
it is actually, and this is certainly my my experience um, based on my own hard-nosed time at the coalface for decades, as well as speaking to countless other people. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it's around awareness, is it not, of that choice. And it is a choice um, between the fear and love, because the fear is around us all all the time, as you quite rightly allude to. It's it's how we perceive that. That's That's a construct within our mind that... You know, it's a story. You know, you, for me, you use the right word there. It is absolutely a story that's fueled by many things. But I think once we've got the awareness to know that actually we do, and it is almost a binary choice of black and white, um, have have a choice of, you know, to choose love instead, even though, you know, we might be home, we might be a person that's homeless, we might, you know, whatever externals, as I call them, are going off in our life at that given moment at time, um, you know, there is a choice to be made. And I think that choice is made, inverted commas, easier by having, um, you know, a, dare I say, a mentor, a guide, a support, somebody that can just kind of, you know, give you that gentle support, that encouragement just to say, do you know what, Dave? You know those guys that come and did that to you, and I know you're feeling really crap now, and you're fearful, and you know. But you know what, mate? Honestly, it's not kind of dismissing it, but the chances of that happening again, because you was 99.9% a random attack anyway, it's it's negligible. So yeah, but let that pass through. Be aware of it, and it's about for me, Dave, having the courage, is it not, to sort of I call it take the left jab. Because you won't be able to deny it anyway. Michael Singer talks about when we take these these jabs in life. That's my terminology, not his. Uh, and I'm quoting from his Untethered Soul book around, let these things come in, deal with them and let them pass, pass through. Because if you don't, the first port of call is the heart. And as you allude to, you know, attaching the emotion and predominantly fear, if you don't deal with it, it'll take lodgings up somewhere else. And that somewhere else is called a mind. That's when we've potentially got a big virus on our C drive at the risk of splitting metaphors. So does, I mean, do you agree with that, Dave, from, from how I've described that? I, I totally agree. And it is so important to, uh, as you say, meet anything that comes towards you head on. Mm. Um, because if you try and avoid something, it will always find its way back to you. Yeah. It will always find its way back to you. Your best stuff is mean it head on. And say nine times out of ten, what you're worrying about, what you're fearing about doesn't actually happen anyway. Absolutely. Um and so, you know, by mean it head off. But you made a you made a very good point there about having the mentor. And you know, one thing I always say is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, and so if nobody's actually took you to the side and educated you, you know, it's it's like the body, you know very quickly i'll talk about this later but you know i was on a lot of tablets um and i was I, i've got motor neuron disease and i was on a lot of tablets i was um on morphine and it was in a bad way now i was like that for a good year or so before i educated myself about what the tablets were doing to myself now i can't beat myself up about wasting that year becoming a zombie not being able to play with my ch children because i didn't understand how the body worked mm. I didn't understand how the tablets worked. But once I educated myself about it and looked at the facts and looked at what was actually in front of me, what was real, then I could make the decision, good or bad. I could make the decision and I chose to come off all my tablets yeah. because the half the tablets were counteracting the other half and adding side effects. So my thought process was I would rather be in pain and drug-free than be in pain without with, with drug in, in my system and adding side effects. And so you don't know what you don't know. And this is for a lot of people who are going through these fearful times who are spiraling into depression and what have you. If they've not been educated about how the mind works, about fear and about how you can deal with that and cope with that and look at it in different ways, then, you know, they will always make these decisions and always be fearful until somebody, and this is my job, and I believe everybody else's job, um, to actually take people to the side, because I'm a great believer, if you've been through a traumatic experience where, you know, if you've come through it and made peace with that, you've got a moral obligation to actually help people. 
whether that's through speaking, writing books, seminars, Samaritans, whatever it may be, you've got more obligation. And the more people that lock onto that sort of ethos, the easier it'll become for people to get educated very quickly and they can move on with their lives and get fear away from Because as you say, we'll always have fear. It's how you deal with it. Absolutely. You know I mean, we will always have, you know, uh, these negatives in our lives. Um, but it's the tenacity in the yeah. ones you've got. Um, and you having know. the awareness, Dave, isn't it? And I, and I know, you know, uh, what from, as I say, from our conversation off air around um, <clears throat> this title of fear, uh, regret and forgiveness is basically what you term your three pillars, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So where, and we also spoke about this, and I think this is worth sharing for, you know, for the benefit of the listeners, because obviously in previous episodes, the listeners um, are aware of my three pillars of life, which... Um, are around purpose, which are around prosperity, and which are around philanthropy. And the only reason I mention that, Dave, is it kind of encapsulates what you've just said. Okay, different words, but same thing. So what what I'm saying is we all need a purpose because a ship without a rudder is just going to get tossed around in life's oceans. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. So we need a purpose, a reason, a direction. But that alone for me is not enough. We need more. We need that love in our lives, that prosperity, that emotional prosperity to know that we really matter. And then the third one, the philanthropy, and people often mistake this in a financial, um, you know, I'm a rich guy and I give loads of money to charity context. It's absolutely not that for me. It's exactly what you've said, Dave. Do you know what? I've come through some, I've took some lessons in life and I need to pass them on. So my philanthropy um, is actually passing on these rich life lessons that, quite frankly, no amount of money could ever buy. Does that kind of resonate with where you're at, Dave? I totally agree. It's basically, life will only throw at you what you can handle. Yes. You know, <clears throat> but people just don't understand or realize that they actually are capable of handling it. And that's where the problem is. Um, I... Any um, negative uh, obstacle that comes in my way, I actually meet it um, with a smile on my face now mm. um, because I know something good's waiting for me on the other side. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm a great believer. I'm a great believer in... It was Jim Rohn, I think, who said it. It's after, after the darkest hour is the glorious sunrise and after every recession is growth. Yep. You know, and that resonates with me, that, because... Anything that is worth something doesn't come easy. Mm. Doesn't come easy. And I'm a great believer in whatever you want to call it, the universe, God, or whatever it may be, will throw crap at you to see how much you really want it. And so if I'm met with a massive challenge, I actually meet it head on and say, you know what? Yeah, something good on the other side here. I know what I want. And it comes down to your purpose. You know, passion and purpose are the two things that you need. As well as you know, you mentioned the philanthropy. Let's say I can't even say that word. Philanthropy. <laughs> I must admit, Dave, I sometimes struggle <laughs> Too early with it. In the morning, I've had a cup of tea <laughs> yeah. uh, with a bit of whiskey in it, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it comes down to the passion and purpose. If you know where you're going, it doesn't matter if that wind, set, you know, sets you off on another course, because you will always find your way back to that path. Yeah. And people go through life without a purpose, you know, because it, they've been, it's been rammed into them that they're worthless, that they've not got a purpose. Why would you have a purpose? Your purpose is here just to live, mm. you know, to get by, just, you know, to struggle. You know, life's a struggle. Get on with it. And it's, if you lock onto that purpose, and my purpose is to help as many people as I can come through mental health struggles, you know, and it's, we're in crisis. When it comes to mental health, we're in absolute crisis. Yeah. You know, you, you look on the streets, you know, there was a post on Facebook the other day talking about how dare this homeless person have the um, have the dog with them. You know, they, sh they should have the clarity of thought to, to phone the RSPCA and put the dog into, into care if they really love that dog. And we're living in this sort of society where we're just so blind to the obvious and so blind to actually digging deeper than the headline. You know, and it's not as simple as, oh, the homeless guy should phone the RSPCA because he loves the dog. That dog is keeping him alive. Yeah. 
you know, that dog is the only bit of sanity and semblance of normality that that person probably has. You know, I've spoken to thousands of homeless people over the years, and the one common theme is they are lonely. Yeah. You know, they, they feel worthless. See, people walk past them and taking selfies. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is everybody, but people buy a sandwich and straight away it's on Facebook. Mm. What's wrong with just buying a sandwich and moving on with your life and getting on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and so it's almost becoming a circus. Yeah. And we, as I said before, you know, things don't get thrown at you unless you can handle it. And the more people who are aware of this, the more people who understand that challenges are sent to you to test whether you really want something or not. And if you don't want it, that's fine. Move on. Mm. You know what I mean? Just forget about it. But you will always be met with these challenges because the universe is asking for your purpose. You know, it's asking, what is your purpose? And these are the challenges that are coming on so you can dig in deep to find what your purpose is. Because without a purpose, we're just drifting. What is the point in just drifting through life? Yeah. No, we are unique. We, we, you know, I lived a year in a tent in the Lake District, and I've seen every single site you could possibly imagine. I had the woodland around as my uh, sort of four walls, and I had the beautiful Cumbria night sky as my ceiling. You realize very quickly how insignificant we are in life, and I don't mean that as in we're worthless. What I mean is this planet is vast. This universe is vast. We're in the whole scheme of things. All we can do is affect and impact the little piece of land, this little piece of world around us. And if that's that person where you say morning and put a smile on their face, you've done your job. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it is as simple yes. as that. It is as simple as that. And I think people, uh, you know, often overlook that. Um, I, I share consistently, Dave, a story about uh, with Oprah Winfrey and her, her mentor who's now passed on, Mayor Angela at the time, and, 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 you know, I make no apologies for repeating this because I think it's a great example of, you know, the, the legacy that we can leave to people. And in this context, uh, Oprah Winfrey said to Maya, she was very excited about this, um, you know, this legacy of this schools in Africa for, you know, for girls, abused girls. And she went to me and she said, this is it, my greatest legacy, my greatest legacy ever. There's nothing going to be like it. And Mayor Angelou sort of wisely said, no, no, that's not the case. Yeah, it is. Yeah, honestly, I can, I can, I can assure you it is. No, it's not. You don't know what your legacy is. Your legacy is going to be that smile you gave to that stranger this morning. That's going yeah. to be your legacy. So that sort of reinforces what you've just said there, Dave, doesn't it? 100%. You know, we everybody thinks big. Everything. Everybody says, you know, we've got to, you know, save Africa and save this and save that. You know, save yourself first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Save yourself because if you've got no love or esteem, yeah, it's all well and good helping others. But you'll find in the background your marriage will fail. You'll mm. find that your kids have grown up and you forgot about them. You'll find that you actually got quite a few more wrinkles than you had last time you looked in the mirror and studied yourself. You know, look after yourself. Give yourself love first. And then you can, you know, once you've filled up your bucket, it'll overflow and overflow and overflow until you can help those around you. And then it, it becomes a ripple effect. You know, for example, you, you, you're in the car going to the school run or wherever. Somebody cuts you up or doesn't let you out of a junction. Chances are you'll come to the next junction. You won't let the next person out. Yeah, if somebody lets you out and waves and smiles at you, guaranteed that'll have a ripple effect where you'll come to the next junction and somebody's trying to get out, you'll let them out. Yeah. You know, everything has this domino effect, whether it's negative or positive. I would rather be positive and love people and not have hate in my heart because that will have the... You just don't know who you're affecting. And that's the beauty of it. You just don't know. You're not targeting people saying, right, I'll target that person. I'll be nice to that person now. You know, you could have such an impact where you, you know, enlighten somebody's life one day, that's going to have a ripple effect where it could go 5, 10, 20 deep. And those 20 deep then go 20 deep. And it just has a massive ripple effect, all because you smiled at somebody, all because you said hello, all because you, you did a random act of kindness, all mm -hmm. because, 
you know, you've, you've got love in your heart rather than hate. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I can only control what I do. I can't control what everybody else does. You know what I mean? I can try and educate, I can try and motivate, I can try and inspire, but ultimately it comes down to choice and whether that person wants to carry on down that route or not. I can't force people to be love, you know, to have love in the heart. I can't force people to have hate in the heart. It's their choice. Everything comes down to choice and decisions. It's personal. You know, live by those or die by those. It's personal responsibility, Dave, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. It's personal responsibility. So, um, what? Um, just just taking you back, uh, Dave, to a point that you mentioned there around, you know, uh, being able to give love and and that kind of thing. And if you're not uh, if you've not got that within you and you've not looked after yourself first, then, you know, something will crumble, which I, which I totally know to be true from uh, uh, not just from a theoretical point of view, but certainly from uh, many years of hard-nosed experience as well. Um, but I liken that, I like to use metaphors, and I liken that to going into any relationship as having a very robust emotional bank account so that if we're to embark upon a, a relationship of what, Whatever that dynamic is, whether it's a close, intimate one, whether it's a friendship one, whether it's a business one, you know, the principles are the same. I enter into that relationship knowing that my emotional bank account is compounded with interest. In other words, I've got plenty to give. So yeah. if you take something out of the account, which is fine because that's called a relationship, I won't be bankrupt. But conversely, I think it's fair to say we don't need too many relationships where it's take, 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 because we then get drained and we then too become emotionally bankrupt. Yeah, totally. But also as well, those people who are take, 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 they'll have their day of reckoning. Everybody has the sliding doors moments where, you know, they can go one or two ways. Um, and these people who take, 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 guaranteed they will get to a situation where they have a decision to make because they've acknowledged and understood that they're doing this. Because a lot of people are getting on autopilot. They don't realize they're doing this until somebody educates them. Yeah. You know, and so you've got the person, say, like yourself, who's got the compounded interest of love and decency in your, in your account. Because people like yourself, ourselves, we're too nice. We don't always become as assertive as we should be and explain. Actually, you're taking a little bit too much here. You know, let, let's talk about this. Let's communicate. And so ultimately, they will get to a point where they realize this is what they're doing. And mm. again, it's up to them to make the decision. Actually, yeah, hands up. I have been taking a little bit too much. Let's start compromising now. Let's discuss. Let's communicate. Or they go the other way and carry on taking, taking, taking. But eventually they will hit rock bottom because they won't have anybody who are willing to share that love and that decency with them. So they will have that ultimate day of reckoning where they'll... Unfortunately, people need to get to rock bottom to actually have the mind opened, which I find extremely sad, you know. And a lot of these takers will get to rock bottom. And, you know, a lot will change, but a lot won't change. And it's up to them to make peace with that. It's up to them not to regret those decisions when it comes to the day of reckoning. You know, we all end up six feet under, you know what I mean? And they all have that conscience to bear, you know, and I've been to thousands upon thousands of funerals as an altar boy, and I've seen a lot of regret. And these people who are take, 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 you guarantee I've seen a lot of them where they say, I wish I would have spent more time with them. I wish I wouldn't have had that argument. You had the chance when they was alive. You can't regret that now. You can't go back. You know, time is our biggest asset that we've got, which we abuse, you know. So it's for people. Yeah, I try and be reactive. Uh, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of my work is, uh, well, so I try and be proactive. A lot of my work is reactive where people hit rock bottom, they become suicidal, become very depressed or whatever. And a lot of my purpose now, a lot of my focus is about being proactive, getting people to be educated, getting people to understand and acknowledge the thoughts and the feelings before it gets too late. So they can make that decision to move forward positively rather than negatively, um, which I'm making some good strides about. But yeah, I totally agree with what you were saying. Um, we all have that decision. Um, we all have those people who take, take, take. But 
again, we can only control ourselves, you know, mm. never change, never change, you know, just because somebody might abuse you for giving too much, what harm have you done to yourself? You know what I mean? You've done no harm because once you start changing, you start changing your true values and your true self, you know, and so you start living a lie and you become like the takers then because it's, you're not aligned with what your true purpose is. You're not aligned with your true self. And I would much rather live as my true self and get the odd bit of abuse or uh, the odd bit of uh, somebody taking the mick because I know on the flip side, I will help a lot more than the people who abuse me, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so it, it's, give, it, it is, it's give and take. You know, you, you help everybody. If people don't want that help, that's fine. They will get their day of reckoning. But I always say to people, I'm here. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. So when somebody's being angry at you or being a bit of a, an idiot, I always ask myself, what's their story? Mm. I never go in for the argument. I never go in for the kill. I never try to sort of cut them off dead. I always open myself up and say, you've got a story here. What's your story? Why are you, why are you so angry? What's happened? Now, some people tell me to bog off. I'm not interested. And I always leave them with, I'm always here if you need me. And I'll leave out that. But mm. a lot of people, that's the first time anybody's actually shown any sort of interest in them. You know, when was the last time you was asked, how do you feel? And then somebody put the pen down and the phone down and actually shut up and listened. Yeah. Very, very rare that happens. And this is what I do all the time is I ask, how are you feeling? Because, you know, going back to the people who are suicidal and people, you know, who are extremely depressed, to get to that point, so many changes of behavior, so many instances have been missed by close friends, family, and relations. You know, so if you've got somebody who's always a bit bubbly and then they have an off day, yeah, it's an off day, forget it. But if on the second day they're having an off day, or the third day they're having an off day, that's the point we need to start interjecting and say, how are you feeling? What's happening? Talk to me. And actually being open to listen. But our lives, you know, we're living our lives as busy fools. We've lost the ability to care. And that's not because we don't care. It's because life has just taken over. Stresses have taken over. And this is why so many people now at crisis point, you know, I work a lot with children. You know, suicide is the biggest killer in children than any other illness or disease or whatever it may be. You know, how can suicide be the biggest cause of death to children? They, they, they beyond belief. And then you ask the parents, how, you know, how much time have they spent on the computer? Oh, we limit it. It's only about 15, 20 minutes. No, it's not. And that's the difficult we have is the parent, people don't want to take responsibility, you know, and ultimately we are responsible for ourselves, you know, and our own decisions and our own choices. And unfortunately, because kids haven't got the, the maturity or the emotional um, resilience to actually make their own choices and live and die by them, you know, they take on board what the parents are saying and how the parents are being role models and they're losing that ability to be resilient because they're just being given everything that they need or they think they need. You know, computers become um, the parents. You know, the Xbox becomes a parent. Yeah. The, you know, um... it's, it's, uh, but there is hope. There is hope. Ofsted now are looking at mental health as being a, a guaranteed thing we're in the curriculum now uh, so you know a little bit too late but it's better than nothing just to put Sorry, that... I digress there is, no. is, is that really yeah I, I'm I do get upset by you know it's uh, when you've got adults who have gone through life who know what's right and wrong who know you know I shouldn't know how to actually make a decision and you know but with kids, now I was dealing with a parent the other week who six year old was trying to jump out the window. Six years old. Mm. Said, I don't want to go to school, I'm too fat, I need my makeup on. Seriously, this is the world we're living in now. I think um, one of the things that we've lost as well, and you've kind of touched upon it, Dave, with the, uh, you know, with the modern technology syndrome, as I call it, is the simple art of listening. 
People yeah. just don't listen anymore. I mean, I get infuriated when you try and have a conversation with somebody. and you, Well, I don't have it anymore. I assertively and respectfully say, I'll talk to you when you've put your iPad down. Because would you have to, would you be having a conversation with somebody else while you was having one with me? Well, if you was, I wouldn't like you to do that because I wouldn't do it to you. I mean, you know, it's it's about that attentiveness and that respect, isn't it? To say, yeah. you know, we're talking to each other. Give me your attention. If you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. I haven't got a problem with that. But don't fob me off and, and play second fiddle to a piece of electronic gadgetry. Um, and we have undoubtedly lost that ability to just to listen, because I know and, and you know this, obviously, Dave, from the work that you do, just to, to sit there and listen and, you know, People, you know, that are kind of in a dark place, you know, the number of times I've heard it said, well, you're the first person that's actually listened to me. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody listens to me. Um, it's kind of bringing me, bringing me back. There's a bit of a paradox with this. When Stephen Covey, I was a great advocate, well, still I'm a great advocate of the late Stephen Covey and his eighth habit. Find your voice and inspire others to find theirs. Because as you say, Dave, everybody's got a story. Now, some people want to shout that from the rooftops. I have a dream kind of style. Others just want somebody quietly to whisper to in a corner. But nonetheless, they want to be heard. But for the yeah. paradox, and as I say, I am a massive Covidite, but the paradox for me is it's only a story. It's just a story. Yeah. And we do I get... totally agree. It's, it's, about, it's about being present as well, you know. People... I've got, I've got two boys, um, and whenever they're talking to me, I try and be as present as I can be, you know. Because why? what children can teach us is far more than what most adults can teach us. Mm, you know, definitely. the simplicity that they live their life yeah. is a joy to behold. You know, at what point did you stop wanting, you know, or believing that you could fly to the moon? You know what I mean? You've got the little kids who, you know, get the cardboard box and become a, an astronaut and what have you, and they, they go through, you know, the whole process of flying to the moon, and they say they genuinely believe they can actually fly to the moon. And then somewhere along the line, life kicks you in the stomach and knocks all that out of you, and we start becoming serious again. You know, it's like... Be more child, you know. What I mean, we can learn so much more from children than we can most adults, and I love it. You know, my my eight year old, I put this on Facebook the other day. He he makes me laugh like any best friend would. His humour is absolutely incredible, <laughs> and I'm in tears laughing. Yeah, you know, and and that to me is what life is all about. You know, what I mean, being silly with your eight-year-old, being, you know, just, yeah, we can have millions of pounds in the bank, but if the eight-year-old doesn't have a clue who you are, <laughs> you know, what I mean, mm -hmm. if the if the eight-year-old's not got the confidence to try and make jokes with you and have a laugh and, you know, just talk to you, you know, is it, I I just I would much rather, you know, listen to kids who are keeping it simple like that than adults who complicate things. I tell you, you know, what, life is life is very simple. It is, just, I, yeah. It's not difficult. Yeah, totally agree. Well, you know, and I refer back to this quite consistent. I love that statement you've just made. Life is very simple because the very, very first episode of Mastering Life uh, was was Mastering Life, as simple as ABC, and it is. And you know, the conversations that um, you have with, oh no, it's dead complicated. It's a bit like football. No, it's not. It's a very, very, life is a very, very simple game. What we tend to do, um, and particularly from an ego driven perspective, like you alluded to at the top of this conversation, Dave, is we make it very, very, very complicated. And yeah. it is as simple as ABC, as, as alluded to in the first podcast, which was the A for awareness. Everything starts with awareness. It's, it's our line in the sand. We only know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. But we've got to start somewhere. Uh, the B is the beliefs that influence our direction, rightly or wrongly. And the C is the creativity to think 
beyond the obvious because if obviously if we keep doing what we've always done we're always going to get the same result so let's think things through a bit more creatively now a bit differently don't like the term dave but i suppose it's akin to thinking outside the box i really don't like yeah. that term but it kind of sums up what um, that abc approach so um if i can move on then dave i mean i think we've uh, semi-comprehensively touched upon your first pillar of fear there yeah if i can move on to your second pillar of regret do you want to give us an insight and you've already sort of mentioned the word two or three times but uh, a little bit more of an insight into regret yeah this goes back to again being open and listening um because when i was five years old um, I was asked, well, I was told, I wasn't asked, I was told that I was going to be an altar boy at a church which joined up with my primary school. And so at the age of five, I served at my very first funeral, which was a bizarre experience because the coffin was higher than my height. It was the most surreal. And to be in a room full of mourning people who were crying and screaming, and it was just, it was horrendous. I didn't, you know, it wasn't an enjoyable situation to be in as a five-year-old. But over the course of about three years, I served over 300 funerals to the age of about eight. And what happened at the age of eight shaped my life and the way I do business and the way I speak to people um, from that point on because I became an unofficial grief counsellor. I used to look like the Milky Bar Kid. He had beautiful blonde hair and black national health glasses. And, you know, I looked quite cute. Um, but adults used to sit next to me in the church and they just poured the heart out. Now, as an eight-year-old, I obviously couldn't offer advice. I didn't have any life experience. I couldn't offer anybody. And I was, it was a bit nerve-wracking seeing these people coming up to me and crying. But what I could do was listen. That's all I could do was listen. And so all I kept on hearing was regret. I wish I would have spent more time with them. I wish I would have not argued with that person before he died. I wish I would have said sorry. I wish I would have phoned them. I wish, I, I wish, I wish, I wish. And that really impacted on me. So I went to the priest and how many people have these sort of sliding doors moments where they've got this opportunity in front of them and don't run with it? Because I went to the priest and I said to him, I said, look, I said, I keep on hearing this word regret. How do I live a life free of regret? Now, I've got an eight-year-old. He would not be asking this question. He'd be looking more, you know, how do I play Fortnite or whatever. But because this was my world, this was normal to me. Yeah. You know, and so the priest, again, he could have quite easily given me a slap and said, get away, boy. But he didn't. He sat me down and he said, Dave, to live a life free of regret, you need to make peace with your decisions, good and bad, immediately. Yeah. And I, I walked out of that church vowing that is exactly what I will do from that point on. And I, t I cannot begin to tell you how freeing just this one bit of advice was. Because I've made some shocking decisions which has put me into some very dangerous situations. I've made some great decisions. But one thing I've always done is made peace with it because the thing is, if you make a decision and it goes pear-shaped and something happens that's quite negative, the chance are you would have made that decision with all the facts in front of you, with a sound mind. And so, therefore, it was the right decision at the time based on what you had in front of you. Absolutely. If you chose to ignore those pointers then so be it. That's your, that's your problem. But you would have had all the facts in front of you to make that informed decision. So you can't regret that. Learn from it. Get rid of all the crap stuff. Learn from it and move on. That can only be a positive. I've had people say, but I was sexually abused or whatever. I was drunk and, you know, I was sexually abused and what have you. I said, was you at the point where you, couldn't, you wasn't in control of your faculties? You were so drunk, you was completely and utterly gone. And they say, yeah. I said, well, how can you regret something that, you've, you know, that happened to you when you wasn't of sound mind? You, know, you didn't have all the clear facts in front of you. He was totally gone. You couldn't have done anything about it. You know, what you can do, and it sounds quite harsh, obviously I'm a little bit more nicey-nicey um, with these people, but what you can do is learn that drink clearly is not the greatest thing for you. Learn about moving on from that and not drinking as much to get you in that situation forgive yourself and we'll come to the forgiveness later but forgive yourself 
for actually being in that situation where you were so drunk, you wasn't in control, you know, to stop the person from happening. And then you can move on from this, but you can't regret it because it's happened. It's done. What you can do is learn from your mistakes, you know, i.e. don't get so drunk next time. Forgive yourself because if getting drunk at the time was clearly you did it for your reasons and your reasons alone. But one thing we have to do then is move on. But you can't regret something that you didn't have a sound mind. You know, again, it comes down to life being simple. You either have a clear mind and a sound mind where all the facts are in front of you. It's the right decision at the time. Learn from it and move on. You wasn't a sound mind. How can you regret something where you wasn't a sound mind? But there will be parts where you can learn from that mistake and put it into place for future and move on. But regret is something that should never be entering into your vocabulary. And it really is as simple as that. And that has got me through some of the toughest times you could ever imagine. I understand exactly what you said there, Dave. I have a, I have a take on that around life's champions emerge because they learn to let go of the pain from the past, but not the lessons learned. Yeah. Now, there is, as you say, there is no point. I mean, we, we can rationalise this now, um, but there is no point in, in having regret because you can't change. You can only take that learning and move on. That is it. Yeah, exactly. So um, It's happened. It's happened. You know, that is one thing that you can never change. Your past. You can't change it. And this is what I alluded to earlier on in the conversation, is time is our biggest asset, yet we abuse it. Brenny Brown talks about regret, guilt, and shame. What's your um, what's your thought around the shame element, particularly, Dave, on that that trio of regret, guilt, and shame? Well, again, that uh, shame is possibly one of the biggest drivers to anxiety and depression, mm. um, and it sort of follows nicely on towards the forgiveness aspect. Yes, is if you feel guilty. That's not a bad thing in most cases because it shows that you've got a heart. It shows yeah. that you've got a conscience. It's when the guilt becomes shame then. You know, that's where you have the issues and the problems. You know, but if you just follow the simple rules, you know, that I put there about trying to... And it's very easy to say, you know, this is not... It's simple, but it's not easy. You know what I mean? And I stress this to people. It is simple, but it's not easy to do. You know, but if you can separate the emotions from the facts, you know, you'll realize, and this is again where a mentor comes in handy to educate and sort of to highlight certain parts. You know, what purpose does shame serve? What benefit does, you know, feeling shame give to you? There is no benefit at all. There is only negatives. You know, and so... By feeling shame, it's a difficult one because guilt you can deal with quite easily. Shame is something that's so ingrained, so deep, that it takes a lot of work to sort of really bring them out of it. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, it's because shame is such a hidden um, concept as well. You know, people don't like to put forward the shame. People don't want to make it so obvious. So it's very difficult for people to lock on the fact that somebody's feeling shame about something. And that's why 20, 30 years later, all of a sudden it comes out because they've dealt with this, they've had this shame for years and years and years without anybody sort of realizing. A lot of people still carry on doing the same jobs and whatever, but then all of a sudden it might be a little bit of a trigger and all this shame just comes to the forefront and it becomes a breakdown. Um, so yeah, shame, guilt is all part of regret in my mind if you can just stick to those simple principles of was it did it happen with a sound mind did you have all the facts in front of you yes can't regret it it's in the past learn from it move on if it wasn't a sound mind if you wasn't you know if you was on drugs or alcohol or you know mental breakdown or whatever it may be then it's impossible to feel any sort of guilt or any sort of regret or any sort of shame because you had no control over that 
Yeah. And shame thrives when, you know, you're feeling that you've got control. You know, it's, there's no control over anything that was done without our mind. I think for me, Dave, of the trio of regret, guilt and shame, the, the latter is massively the, is the debilitating one, the toxic one, the one that will absolutely destroy you. Because when I look at, when we look at pain, I mean, pain in very, very, very small doses is actually good because it gives us that leverage, does it not, to actually move on and change things for the better. You know, um, if we've got a pebble in our shoe, that's painful. If we if we take it out, we look. So we know we need to do something about that. I tell you what, let me take my shoe off and let me remove that pebble. But if we keep that pebble in there, and that pain plus pain plus pain equals suffering, oh, there's no point or no goodness or no no benefits at all in suffering. And I draw that same parallel, Dave, with the with the the fear angle and you know and shame. With fear, I think in a very, very, very small dose, it's okay, as long as we're aware of it and then put it in context. But then to take that fear plus fear plus fear and put it in the context of shame, well, that's parallel to suffering. There's none, There's no benefits in there at all, none whatsoever. So I think it's worth for me, you know, highlighting the, you know, what, what you do, the regret. Yeah, we can, you know, for the reasons you've mentioned, we can embrace that. It's part of us. We take that on the chin, then we move on. We don't deny it. We don't push it under the surface because it will come knocking on the door again uh, when we least expect it, as we know. So I just just offer that, Dave, for what it's worth about the two comparisons where pain plus pain plus pain equals suffering. The latter, forget it. No benefits. Fear no. plus fear plus fear equals shame in, in, in the context of regret. And, and maybe guilt, no benefits at all of shame. So I just, you know, for me, I really do strongly say to people, you know, let, if we're going to dig down and talk about shame, let's really, let's really deal with this one because it's a big one. It really it's is. It's huge. And that, that's the one that causes the most damage. And that's the one when, if people have attempted suicide, that's the one word that always comes up in conversation. Mm. It's a shame. Well, there's a story that I like to give, uh, which is not mine. It's uh, about, have you heard the rusty nail story? No. It's uh, a man moved into a new neighbourhood and every morning he went to work. He walked, he walked past his house with a porch and there was a dog on the porch and he was wailing like a banshee. It was howling, it was barking. And over the course of a few days, every day this dog was sat there on the porch um, wailing and crying like a banshee. So eventually he went up to the owner. I said, is this your dog? And the owner said, yeah. I said, well, I've noticed over the last week or so that the dog is constantly screaming out, you know, in pain. It's uh, it, it's not very happy. I said, oh, yeah, he's sat on a rusty nail. I said, well, why don't you just move off? I said, it's not painful enough yet. Mm. Great analogy. Fantastic and analogy. I love that story. A lot of people go through life going through pain but they don't do anything about it. And when they try and do something about it, it's, it's almost too late then. That's where the deep depression and the, you know, the suicide attempts and the, the shame and what have you, it's gone too far because it's had this compound effect because you're just constantly dealing with the pain and just ignoring it rather than dealing with that source. You know, set, set standards. If you're feeling a little bit different than you did yesterday, do something about it. Plug into some personal development, you know, talk to somebody, you know, let your feelings known on Facebook or whatever it may be. Invite people into your world and get rid of that initial pain. Because as you say, pain, 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 it's not good. No, it's not. Pain, do something about it, great. But if on a daily basis, because it's only going to get worse, it'll never get better unless you deal with that source. Yeah. Where's the pain coming from? deal with it but again people don't know what they don't know they, mm. they drummed into lies that i'll just chin up get on with it you know perspective look at that guy over there he's homeless what have you got to moan about no everybody's unique everybody's unique everybody's different everybody deals with things completely differently to the other person you know what is you know 
I'm not going to go into it too much because it really winds me up and I don't get wound up. But this term snowflake we keep hearing about now. You know, I've seen so much bullying online because somebody's had an opinion where they said, oh, you know, I don't really like the idea of that I'm offended by that or whatever. And then all of a sudden these online bullies start having a go. Oh, you're a snowflake. Just scroll by, snowflake. No, that person may not have had resilience training. That person may have had such a bad experience where certain words have triggered them. You know what I mean? But again, we're becoming a society where we're becoming cruel. You know, is it on Facebook, on online social media, we play by a different rule book. People become a different person online and they'll attack people. Yet on the street, face to face, they won't do anything. Mm. They won't say you're a snowflake, they won't do this. You know, and I don't like the way, you know, social media and the internet is a magnificent tool. It is one of the greatest inventions we've ever, ever come up, you know, developed. But it's also got its bad, you know, and everybody's, as I said before, everybody's got the story. Everybody, we just need to listen more. We need to just, if somebody's, I mentioned it before, and I know I'm repeating myself, but it's so important, is to get to the point of being seriously depressed or to get to the point of being suicidal, little micro changes have been dismissed or ignored or missed. And so when you've got this person who's all of a sudden feeling a little bit of pain, if we can educate these people to sort of open out and say, I need help, then on the flip side, what I want to create is a world where people say, right, let's try and help you. Where, where, where can I fit into this? But unfortunately, with social media, we're fitting into a world of, oh, chin up, get on with it, look at that person, homeless, blah, 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 blah. And not actually helping, making it worse. So the next time the person needs help, they won't feel comfortable about seeking that help. Everybody who knows me, or even on my social media, everybody knows that I am open at any point where they can talk to me. And they won't be judged, they'll be listened to. And if I can stop somebody from feeling that bit of pain on the first day and give them some strategies to cope should it happen again, then that's my legacy. Just that little bit of impact on that little bit of my world, that will have, an, that will have you know, a ripple effect moving forward. That person, when he's got over his pain, he will be a lot more attuned to helping others. And so therefore he'll pass that on and pass that on and pass that on. And that is absolutely the way forward. So just, if I may, Dave, then moving on to your final pillar of forgiveness. Give us your insight into that, please. Forgiveness to me is the biggest one. Um, shame, uh, guilt, depression, suicide, whatever it may be. Every single person I spoke to, there is an element of forgiveness that they've not been able to get a hold of whether it's forgiving themselves or somebody else who sought to them harm emotionally or physically. You know, I'll, I'll give you a very quick story. Um, when I was 19, 20, I think it was, um, I got um, a role, a voluntary role, working in the red light districts in Manchester. Um, and I was working with a young girl called Keely, who was only 14 years old, and she come up to me and said, Dave, I need to die. No, I want to die. I need to die different ball game. I worked with her for, alongside social workers and various other people for about three months until she came back to me and said, Dave, I want to make good in my life. I want to go back into childcare. Now this was huge because childcare was the reason why she would end up on the streets because she was being abused in childcare. So for her to want to go back to that system mean clearly meant that she was not in a very good place in the situation she was which clearly she wasn't. She was a prostitute on, on heroin. And so I arranged to meet her the next day to get her back to um, childcare and education and what have you. Anyway, long story short, that night she panicked and told her pimp what she was planning to do. And rather than let her go, he doused in petrol, burnt her alive and threw her in a skit. And I got a call to go and identify this young girl's body. Now, again, I was only 19 years old and seeing things that no person should ever see. 
And the only way I could identify was through the gold rings that she had on her fingers. It was just charred remains. It was horrendous. Now, I went into the red light district to confront this pimp. Now, again, removing facts from the emotion side of things, if I would have done that, I would have been safe. This guy was six foot four, Jamaican yardy, huge, evil to the core. And he looked at me and he just, he pummeled me with an inch of my life. I had broken jaw. I was left for dead. And he stood over me and words to the effect of, if I see you in Manchester again, I will kill you. And so for about three and four months, I was having a face reconstructed and what have you, jaw sort of reset. And I fell into a massive, deep, dark place. Because all I kept on thinking about was this young girl. Had I took her away that night, she wouldn't have died. And I hated myself. I hated myself with a passion and I hated them with a passion. And one word I don't use anymore is hate. It's such a horrible, strong word. Um, it got to the point, again, long story short, it got to the point where I tried to take my life because the guilt was just too much for me. You know, the thought that I could have potentially saved this girl. But then I remembered the conversation that I had with the priest, make peace with your decisions. And slowly but surely I started thinking for the positive. And just one little bit of chink of light came through. And I thought, you know what? When she was dying, she was clearly going to be in a lot of pain. But at least she knew there was one person in this world who cared enough to try and help her. Mm. And that was enough light for me to start lifting back out of this darkness. But the biggest thing that I had to do was the first thing was to have to forgive myself because I hated myself for leaving her in that situation. And so I worked hard and it took me another three months or so to really forgive myself. But then I had to work on forgiving the pimp what he did now this is where i get a lot of stares and a lot of um arguments from a lot of people is how could you forgive such a monster and it wasn't forgiving him for the actual for what he did because you know he will face his own reckoning for that you know he lives by the sword he'll die by the sword he will have been dead at some point by shot by some gangster or whatever but what i needed to forgive him for was to be that association of pain i didn't want the pain that he has that he put on me to be on me anymore and that's why I was forgiving him and I wrote a letter from myself to him and I put it in a drawer and every day I'd take it out and I'd read this letter until it came from the heart and as soon as I read this letter and forgave him from the heart which again took me a while the weight was immediately lifted off my shoulders I felt like it was an out-of-body experience it was beautiful and that association of pain was not part of me anymore but had to forgive myself first before I could even think about forgiving him and once I forgive myself it was so much easier to go down the route of trying to forgive him and that is the key is so many people have all these hang-ups they'll have arguments where they've not spoke to the parents for years and years and years or their parents may have abused them and they have all this hatred for them they have all this anger and the shame Work on forgiving yourself first by, you know, hating yourself, not for being in that situation, but for hating yourself for all those years. Forgive yourself for that and then work on forgiving your parents or whoever sought to do your harm emotionally and physically because I guarantee if that comes from the heart and you can remove yourself from that situation and make peace with it, your life will never be the same again. You'll live a lot more content and you'll be a lot more resilient and a lot more tenacious and just a lot more free. Yet that is one of the hardest things that people can do. The, you know, the regret, the fear, that's quite easy. You know, we can deal with that in, in minutes. It's just a simple inspirational, motivational speech and they get it. It's simple. The forgiveness can take a lot longer, but they need to start trying to forgive because once they start trying and it starts coming from the heart, you'll feel, you'll feel freedom that you'll never have felt previously. And you can move forward with your life. You know, it's for the person who's done the abuse, it's for the person who's done the harm. They, they will get their day of reckoning. Let them deal with themselves. But I guarantee most of these people that you're not forgiving, that you're hating, they won't give a damn about you. They'll be getting on with their own lives yet you're the one who's suffering. How's that fair? 
And the one way to be free of that is forgiveness. It is huge. I'm not talking from some spiritual religious place. I'm talking from the heart and from the mind. And I guarantee, you know, that was the biggest thing for me to be able to forgive. And I've forgiven everybody who's tried to do me And there's been a lot of people who've tried to do me harm over the years. I've forgiven every single one. It's the first thing that I try and do. You know, it's, uh, but yeah, I'm getting emotional thinking about it because it is just the freedom that people will feel once they are able to forgive is just incredible. And I wish that for everybody. And on that powerful, poignant note, Dave, I think that very uh, succinctly and, and nicely is not the right, right word, but nicely is the word that's coming to spontaneously coming into my mind, brings things to a, an appropriate end. Before we sign off, Dave, how can, um, how can people get hold of you if they want to know more? Uh, they can email me at dave at daveheffernan.com. Yep. Okay. And these uh, listeners, these uh, Dave's email um, details will be in the show notes as well. So just to be sure, uh, your surname, uh, Dave, is H-E-F-F-E-R-N-A-N. That's correct. Yeah. Heffernan. Yep. Okay. Any other mode of contact or any other information uh, out there, social media? Uh, by all means, if you want to um, follow me on LinkedIn, uh, that's where I hang about. Um, it says www.linkedin.com and my username is Dave Heffernan Speaker. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so there you have it, listeners. A very, um, what I believe was um, a stark, forthright, but real and certainly emotional um input from from dave so dave sincere gratitude to you for, for that and Thank you very much. Um, appreciate your time all that remains really now is as you can tell listeners i'm not normally in this kind of semi-somber tone of voice when i'm signing off but uh, i think it's fair to say that that was very powerful and very insightful so until the next time keep mastering life thanks for listening to the mastering the game of life podcast Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.